What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Sober Plug Podcast, where we get you disconnected from addiction and plugged into recovery. I'm your host, Connor Duffy. If you need help, you can reach out to my line. It's 203-917-8862. Again, that is 203-917-8862. If you're looking to work with a personal coach, one-on-one or group coaching, whatever the case may be, let me know. If you're looking for rehab resources, let me know. If you're looking for free resources in your area, you can text me at any time. So what I want to talk about today was my last high, the last time that I ever used and where my life was at while that was going on. And, um, you know, it's pretty crazy to, to think about where I was and where I'm at today. It's, it's, it's easy to forget where you came from sometimes. And every time I get the chance to really think about and reflect on where I was mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, like I can go right back there. It's easy. It's easy to forget because you get used to life when you make adjustments and you make changes and and you become a new person. Like you just get used to everyday life, but I can go right back to that place when I really need to. And when I think about just all the circumstances of my life and, and who I was as an individual and um, obviously what I was using and just the person I become, I had become at that point. And I was really like spiritually bankrupt. You know what I mean? I use that term quite a bit because it just perfectly describes where I was at. I was, uh, it was like a black hole was inside my chest. You know what I'm saying? I just had nothing left. I had nothing. Drugs and alcohol had just totally robbed me in every single way in my life. And I don't even want to say robbed me. I just gave it away. You know what I'm saying? I gave willingly, I gave everything in my life to the drugs. And, um, it's just wild how long we can kind of go along that path, thinking that it's just going to work out without having to change our behaviors. And we continue to repeat the insanity of addiction over and over and over again and it gets it just gets to a place where you don't want to live i mean you don't want to live anymore you but you don't want to die and you do want to die and then you know and then there's times where you do want to live and and it's like damned if you do damned if you don't sort of thing you can't picture a life without drugs but you also can't imagine what life is going to look like if this continues any longer and that's when you know you're at that that point of no return. And that's pretty much where I was towards the end. And, you know, for the people that don't know my full story, I'm definitely not going to get into my full story by any means. But, you know, when I started smoking weed at nine years old, that was the first time I ever got high. I remember that as clear as day. And by the time I was basically 11, 12 years old, I was getting high as close to a daily basis as you possibly can get. Um, by the time I was basically 15, uh, yeah, I was 15 years old. I did heroin for the first time and that wasn't planned just like how smoking weed at nine wasn't planned, but that was just kind of who I was. You know what I mean? I was always willing to push the envelope, try new things, whether they were negative or not. Matter of fact, I liked the, the, I liked a little bit of chaos. I've just always kind of been that way. I liked a little bit of, you know, going to the edge, seeing how far I could go and just seeing, 
can I get away with this? Can I, can I figure out a way to, you know, get close to trouble or get close to the chaos, but pull yourself out of the fire? I was kind of always attached to that game, you know? And looking back when I was young, I was really just searching for something. You know what I mean? I, I think a big part of it had to do with the fact that my father died when I was young. I didn't have a lot of direction. And so I just felt like any attention was good attention. And that was in including the negative attention. And I was always looking up to the older kids in, in school and stuff like that. And just kind of the older crowd, especially like my older brothers um, who were seven and eight years older than me. So I, I always looked up to like the older the older crowd, the older generation. And with that came a lot of trouble because I always needed to prove myself. I always needed to feel like I could hang with the big boys and blah, blah, blah. Right. So anyway, when it came time to experimenting and it came time to trying new things, I was definitely not afraid to do that. I was not afraid to, you know, stick my, stick my hand in the fire and figure out how hot it was and see what I can get away with. Um, so, you know, this clearly played into my addiction without, without a doubt. And I kind of felt like I was prepped mentally, emotionally to be an addict, but well before I ever was, you know, I grew up, um, covering for my brother a little bit, you know, my brother, like I said, both of them were a bit older than me. So they were in the middle of their own thing. And, you know, I used to cover up and, and lie for them a little bit and, you know, hide this from mom, hide that from mom. Not, you know, I saw things that were going on in the house that clearly I, I wasn't gonna, you know, tell my mother about. So th like that kind of laid the groundwork for, I had the characteristics, I had the traits kind of built in well before I ever picked up a, a, a drug, you know what I mean? And it served me pretty well in my addiction. I just kind of had that like street smarts, if you want to call it that, or just kind of like that, that those character traits, that, that attitude that kind of just helped me navigate through, helped me bob and weave through these certain areas of my life that I was getting into, you know, um, I was constantly getting in trouble in school. And so, um, Smoked a lot of weed in, in middle school, was constantly getting in trouble, was getting in fights, all that sort of thing. And like I said, I mean, by the time I was 15, I, I tried heroin for the first time. And, you know, I'll never forget when I when I did heroin for the first time. I remember I remember being really nervous after I did it, not really beforehand. And I didn't even really know what it was. Honestly, I wasn't even sure I was doing heroin. I didn't really know what it was. I just knew it was in a in a plastic baggie and it had a stamp on it called white label. And there was another bag that had a stamp on it called black label. And uh, for those of you that don't know heroin, when heroin was popular, it, they would come in these wax bags um, that would have stamps on them. And they're not so much as popular anymore because fentanyl is now in all bunch of stuff and comes in different forms. But back in the day when I was using, they would be in, in, you know, clear, like these wax bags that would have these stamps on it. And I remember it, it was a white label that I, that I did. 
And I wasn't nervous beforehand, but I was certainly nervous afterwards. I I remember thinking, oh man, like, did I did I do too much? And I remember just pretty much within, you know, within like 15, 15 to 30 seconds, just getting real down, getting real tired. And, and, uh, I was nervous. I thought that maybe I was, I was going to die. Um, I started passing out. I remember I went outside to play basketball. I was trying to pretend like nothing, nothing was wrong or nothing was different. And I remember almost falling on my face, trying to, trying to play basketball. And so I knew I needed to, my mother was actually home when this happened. So I knew that I needed to, uh, get out of, get out of view. You know what I mean? I could, definitely couldn't be in the driveway playing basketball because, um, I needed to kind of get to a place where I could chill out and isolate by myself to the best of my ability. So I actually ended up going in the backyard and then there was a hammock and I laid down on it. And I don't know how much time went by, but by the time I woke up, I went in the house. My mom was the first person that I saw when I went in there. And she said, where the hell have you been? And I said, well, I said, I've been, I've been sleeping on the hammock. And she's like, you've been sleeping. She's like, you've been sleeping on the hammock. She's like, it's raining out. And I was so fucked up that I didn't even realize that it was raining outside. You know, uh, I was sleeping in the rain and I don't know how long I was, like I said before, I don't know how long I was out there for, but you would think, and that was my introduction to heroin. I got violently sick after that. I tried to eat and, uh, just started throwing up and everything. And my brother was actually home too. And he noticed something was up. He looked at my mom and he said, uh, he said, he's getting sick and he knew what was up. I don't think my mom knew what was up. I mean, I don't think my mom was suspecting her 15-year-old doing heroin, you know, but there I was. So that was my introduction to heroin. I probably overdosed or came very, very close to it. I don't know how long I was passed out in the back. Who knows if the rain actually helped me? Um, I've always wondered that. But regardless, I remember after being nervous of overdosing, once I was calmed down and I was actually at peace, you know, I felt like I felt relief. I felt like really relaxed and I wasn't so much worried about dying from the drug anymore, but I was more so focused on the serenity and the peace of mind that I had. And from that point forward, I knew that I was going to have a serious problem. I knew that this wasn't going to be the last time I was going to run into heroin and I knew that just from my addictive personality that I was not afraid to dive into things. I knew I was really in for it well before I ever knew what true addiction looked like. And, uh, and basically about a year after that, by the time I was 16, I was diving into all sorts of pills, experimenting with all sorts of stuff. And, uh, eventually came the benzos and, and the, and the oxys. And that was, that was pretty much my first, those, that combo right there, the Xanax and the Oxycontin was, was really my mix. That was my, those were like my one, two Oxy's number one. My opioids, opioid opiates were always my number one. That was the, the strongest addiction for me. I absolutely needed it every single day. 
but benzos particularly xanax were was a strong number two i mean i was looking for xanax every single day i couldn't always get it every day but most of the time i could um i remember couple dealers in school i would buy them out every time i got a chance because i would go to boshi's in the morning and so i wouldn't get to school until about you know midway through the day and i would tell them i'd say listen dude hold on to whatever you got i will buy i will buy everything and so every time i would see him i would i would buy the rest of his stuff or you know i'd let him know like listen i'm gonna take it i'm gonna take it all don't sell any and I was just, I was just a reckless mess, man. You know, um, of course, meeting other people in other towns when I was going to BOCES, BOCES was basically, for those of you that aren't aware, it's a school that you go to when you're in high school that is basically an outside location where all different towns go to that school. It's like a trade school basically for high schoolers who are pretty much fuck ups and <laughs> usually getting in trouble and aren't, aren't going to Princeton. Let's just say that. So that was a great place to meet connections as well. Uh, I would sell weed there and, you know, basically like I went for culinary and I would cook food and guy and network. That was, that was pretty much what I utilized BOCES as. Um, you know, fast forward, I mean, through through high school, it was just pretty much more of the same. Just got into a lot of trouble and, uh, and you know, bringing me to, to the last time that I ever got high. Like I said, I'm not trying to tell you my whole story here, but I uh, it got progressively worse, clearly. I mean, by the time I was 19, I had already been arrested for uh, multiple DUIs. Actually, that happened when I was 18. I had multiple DUIs. By the time I was 19, I committed a robbery on Xanax, um, which put me in jail for, for six months. And I'm extremely lucky that it was just six months and it didn't turn out to be six years because that's pretty much what I was looking at. And if it wasn't for the lawyer that I had at that time, uh, we went through three different lawyers. And if it wasn't for the last one, I'd probably definitely would have went to prison no doubt about it and i wasn't a very big character let me tell you i was like 100 100 pounds 110 pounds soaking wet you know five foot six skinny little kid i would have been in trouble and i knew it i knew i was in trouble no matter what because drugs really just like i wasn't willing to i knew that they obviously weren't good for me in the long term, but I just wasn't willing to figure out a different way to cope. I didn't know how to cope. I did not know how to cope with life. I didn't know that I was really just searching for peace of mind. I was searching for serenity. I was searching for finding myself. And I think when you're young and you're 18, you just don't know what you don't know. A lot of times we operate a certain way and we don't understand why we operate a certain way. Fuck. I mean, you don't even have to be 18 years old. You could be 38 and not understand why we do the things that we do, right? So at 18, I certainly didn't have all the answers. 18, 19, 20. And um, I was just lost. And I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't know how to be. I didn't know how to be found. I didn't know 
what to find. I didn't know where to search. I just knew I wasn't willing to stay sober. I didn't think I'd be able to find it sober because I had never done that in my life, you know, other than very brief times where I went through brief rehab stints here and there, right? And other brief attempts that were kind of half-assed, but I just didn't have the tools. I didn't think that life offered me anything good off of drugs. And then if I was being honest, I mean, life didn't really offer me anything too good on drugs either. But but at least but at least I held on to that that escape, that mental escape that I that I so desperately craved. And it, and it's the escape from your own thinking. It's our thinking that's the problem. It's the way, it's our perspective. It's the way that we handle life. It's the way that we handle problems. It's it's our self-talk. It's knowing that we're not living up to our potential and knowing that there's so, there should be more to life, but I just don't know how to get it. Or I don't, or maybe I don't know if there's more to life than this. Is this it? Is this really what it is? You know, these are the things that I would like tell myself and, and, on the outside, I would always just tell people, yeah, man, listen, I'm, I'm just having fun. I'm just having a good time. But really on the inside, like I, like I knew it was more than that. I knew I had a lust. I had an absolute lust for drugs because I couldn't stand being sober. I couldn't stand really looking at myself in the mirror and thinking about my life from a, from a sober perspective, from a sober mind. It scared the shit out of me. You know what I mean? Who was I without drugs? Fuck, I I was getting high from the age of nine to up until 20. So I didn't know who I was sober. What did life look like sober? What did it What did it mean? How, how was I going to get through life? You know what I mean? You, you mean to tell me I can't take, I can't take breaks here and there and take a pill and have a good time and what am I going to do at certain situations? What what, am, what type of friends am I going to have? All these fucking, you know, all of these just ideas, all of these thoughts, just overtaking your mind, and it's like you're putting the putting the carriage before the horse, or the horse before the carriage. You know what I mean? And and um, so that led me, you know, this constant cycle over and over and over again, the madness of it. And the willingness to ignore the mountain of evidence, the mountain of consequences that I had in my life from, from these drugs and from my addiction, I was just willing to completely ignore it and, and just think that this was still the solution, you know, because at least, at least this was my solution. I didn't know what other solution there was out there, but I eventually relapsed after about uh, this was my real this is my only other real attempt at getting sober i had nine months i had nine months at 19 and it was after i went to treatment and uh and things did get better for a little bit but again i had a pretty hard relapse and, and shit got bad really really fast i'll never forget i was with old friends of course and the the whole plan was i was just gonna smoke weed I was just going to smoke weed one time, you know, I was just going to get, I was just going to smoke weed. I wasn't going to go back to heroin or pills or anything like that. And I remember I was smoking weed. I was smoking a blunt for about five minutes, literally five minutes went by 
and by the second time the blunt came around to me, I was already on the phone trying to get heroin. <laughs> it was that fucking fast. And that's the truth. I mean, literally, I went from 10 minutes earlier saying, hey, you know, I'm about to throw nine months down the drain, but I'm just going to smoke. I'm not going to do heroin. I'm not going to do pills. Like, I'm, I'm just going to chill and smoke weed for a while. And went from that to 10 minutes later, I was looking for heroin. And that's, and that's me. Like, that's me in a nutshell. There is no chill. Like, I go from zero to 100 immediately. And that's how I've always been. And I've, and I've just played this tape so many times. I've seen it in so many different ways, not just in drugs. It's just like when I'm in that space, that is who I am. I, I just like all bets are off. You know what I mean? Because I just get tunnel vision and it's just over. It's just like green lights. Um, so I went from that, from basically smoking weed to looking for it immediately. And fast forward to about five or six months later, where I was on the verge of homelessness, living in a really shitty spot over in Poughkeepsie, New York, um, with nothing, nothing to my name other than, you know, my clothes and, and this, my rent in this shitty, like, room it wasn't even like a studio type of deal. It was like I was renting a room in a small apartment um, for like three or 400 bucks a month or whatever. And I couldn't even afford that anymore. And um, the the last time that I got high, I, I had $15 to my name. And I was thinking like, man, how am I going to come up today? How am I going to come up with some money? What type of schemes am I going to run? Like, you know, what am I going to do here? I remember I was walking home and someone shouted at me and said, yo, Connor. And I didn't, I didn't see who it was. It was a car that just went by. And, uh, about 10 minutes later, I get a phone call and it turns out it was a kid that I went to rehab with like, you know, like a year prior or, you know, eight, eight months prior or whatever the case may be. And he says, yo, Connor, what's up, man? I saw you walking down the street. Was that you? I said, yeah, yeah, that was me. What's going on, man? He's like, he's like, how are you doing? And I said, I'm doing sh real shitty, bro. I'm not doing good. I'm getting high. I'm not doing well. He goes, oh, good. Me too. <laughs> and so what did we do? Of course, we met up, uh, obviously. And uh, and, the, and we ended up, you know, getting, getting heroin together. And we ended up scoring. We were walking we were walking back to his place and he goes, uh, he goes, yo, are you, you shooting this shit yet? Or, you know, what, what do you do? You, you use the, you use a rig or no? I said, nah, man, I've never used a rig before. And he's like, oh man. He's like, bro, you're wasting it. He's like, dude, you gotta, you gotta use a needle. And I remember like, as we were walking, I just knew, I just knew that this was like a turning point for me. And I knew that I wasn't strong enough to like avoid a way of getting higher. Right. I mean, I knew this was just how it goes and I knew that I was willing to do it. And like the one saving grace I tried to say was like, well, you know, I'm not going to use a dirty needle. And he was like, well, I got clean needles. Don't worry. And that was all I needed. 
You know what I mean? That was pretty much all I needed. He uh, he said, I'll give you, uh, he's like, I got you on a new needle. You're good. And that was it. We went back to his place. He shot me up. He put, he, you know, he loaded the syringe. He fucking put it in my arm. And that was it. And I remember, I, I remember obviously that rush, that feeling. And uh, I remember walking home that that day and it was a really cold gloomy shitty day in april 2013 really cold i remember walking down the street you know i'm I'm walking home i'm feeling like shit um again just really in a dark place mentally emotionally spiritually bankrupt i remember walking and i'm looking down and there's holes in my in my clothes there's holes in my shoes and and bro I would I just felt like a bum like here I was I was 20 years old I was 20 and I felt like I was 60 I couldn't even buy a legal drink yet and I felt like my time was up I felt like my life was over I felt like this was gonna be how I was going to live the rest of my days. And I didn't think I had many days left, you know, but I just felt like if I didn't, if I didn't make some serious changes that this was going to be it and it probably wasn't going to last too much longer. So something, something in me, I don't even know. I don't even know what made me do it. Like I called my mom and I, and I told her, um, and I said, I said, hey, Ma, I said, I think, I think I need, uh, I think I need to get help or I think I need to do something. I mean, uh, I'm not doing too well. And she knew that already. And she said, well, she said, well, you can, you can come and live with me, but the only way you're going to live with me is if you get sober. That's it. There's no other way. And I don't know what made me do it. I have no clue. Because I really didn't think I was capable of getting sober. I mean, if I was being honest with myself, there was no chance that I was going to be able to stay sober. And, uh, and I agreed. I, uh, I went, I went to live with her literally like within, within the next day. I think the next day I moved in with her. And I remember I went back to the apartment that I was staying at or the room that I was renting, whatever you want to call it. And I told the guy that I was renting from, I said, hey, man, would it be all right if I get half of my half of my rent back if if I leave early? You know, if I leave early, can I get half of my rent back? And he was so ecstatic about the idea of me not being there anymore that he was he was more than happy to give me my money back to give me half of April's rent back and, uh, and just to get me the hell out of there. And really that was my plan to just like go on another run. You know what I mean? I had a little bit of money for like the deposit and half of April that I had back. And all of a sudden I had money again. And the crazy part is as I was living with my mom, I somehow stayed sober. I had this money while she was going to work 
And I remember I detoxed on the couch for four days straight. I did, what I mean is I didn't sleep for four straight days. The detox was a little bit longer than that, but I didn't sleep for four straight days. The detox was miserable. It was fucking brutal. And I had this money in my pocket. And I wasn't that far from the town that I grew up in. I'm going to be honest. I have no clue how I stayed sober. I have absolutely no clue. Like, call it divine intervention. Call it whatever you want. But it was it was simply, it was, something was happening. Something was going on behind the scenes. Because I didn't think I could stay sober. I didn't have the mindset to stay sober. And, uh, and I did, you know what I mean? And obviously I will say, I mean, I do know how I stayed sober. I mean, I was going to AA meetings played a massive part in this because I had that support and I had that routine of seeing people that were willing to help me and help guide me. And I would not have been able to do it without them. There's no, no doubt in my mind. But even with that, I still have no idea how I actually stayed sober and how I didn't go and get drugs. I mean, I was only about a half hour from my, from my town, like, you know, 30, 40, 40 minutes at most, not even. And so it wasn't really that much of a stretch. I remember while my mom would be at work, I would have this money burning a hole in my pocket from the deposit <laughs> from, from my old landlord that gave me the money back. And I wanted to get high so bad. And I knew that I could have. And so, you know, that was one of those things where I, it's like one of those unexplainable things where I wanted to use so bad. I didn't think I'd be able to stay sober long term. And I didn't. I, I'm not really sure what kept me going. I'm going to be honest. Like that part does puzzle me a little bit. That's something I really haven't been able to figure out other than like divine intervention. It's like, it's like the only, the only thing I could really think of, like, I wasn't a strong individual. Um, I was a pretty weak kid. I was 20 years old at this point. And, uh, and I felt hopeless and helpless. And I guess, I guess things just worked out the way that they needed to in order for me to start my journey in recovery. And I don't question it, of course, you know. And that's why I tell people, like, I'm nothing special. If I can get sober, anybody can. And the place where I was at the last time that I got high, it was such a dark place for me mentally um, that it really did, it really did have a big impact on me. And I didn't think, and I didn't know it at the time. Like, I knew I was going to give it this little, you know, this little bullshit attempt at getting sober, but... I didn't, I wasn't truly sold by any means that this was actually going to work out for me. You know what I mean? Clearly it was bad enough to where I was willing to do something different, but I, I really didn't believe in myself whatsoever. And I think living with my mom obviously played a massive, massive role in that too. Um, she was amazing for me and and a great, great support for me. I'm very lucky. If it wasn't for her, I definitely wouldn't have made it. Like, there's no doubt about that. But even like being in that environment, being in AA and stuff and going, it still, it still blows my mind that I was able to string some days together. And that's what I want to like give hope to people is you don't, you don't 
have to feel like you're 100% ready or you're going to figure it out. Nobody ever figures it out. You can't you can't have everything figured out before you've even started. It really is just like putting one foot in front of the other, which one step at a time. It's just like getting yourself in a position where you can get clarity of mind. You know what I mean? And that's pretty much what happened to me. And I wouldn't have been able to be in that position if it wasn't for the lows, if it wasn't for hitting rock bottom, if it wasn't for that mental, emotional, spiritual, physical bankruptcy. I needed that so desperately, I didn't even fucking know it. I didn't even realize how badly I needed it. I needed to to be at the absolute pitfalls of life. I needed to feel like I was at rock bottom and, and had nowhere else to go. And that's the position I was in. And I'm forever grateful for that. I'm forever grateful for where I was at in that moment. And if you would have told me then how significant that day would have been, I would have told you you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> I woke up I woke up feeling the same that day as I did any other day. But I had no idea what was really to come from that. How low things would get. And how low things are get. It really like... It's when things are so bad, you're so close to things getting so good. That's the fucking wild part. That's the wild part that addiction can bring us. It can bring you so down, so low to the depths that you've never been to before that it actually brings you much closer to greatness than you've ever been before. That's what it takes for a lot of people. It takes getting to that point to really make changes and to really want to really never want to live that way again. You know, even if you don't know how you don't need to, you don't need to know how you just have to have some type of why you just have to have the reason first. And then the roadmap comes after, you know, but that's what that's pretty much that was my last high. That was my last experience. I know I dove into a little bit more than just just the last day, right? Or the last specific high, but you know, everything led up to where it needed to and I didn't understand that in the moment, but each event that played out in my life happened for a reason. I truly do believe that. Sometimes you're not able to you're never able to connect the dots looking forward. But you're able to connect the dots when you look backwards on your life. And that's what I'm able to do now. I'm able to look back and I'm able to look at certain things that played out for a reason. When in the moment, it seemed like a lot, a lot of pain. It seemed like a lot of misery. It seemed like it was just, it was just unnecessary suffering. And, but it was, it was very necessary. It was all an integral part to my journey. And maybe you're listening to this now and you don't know why you're in a position right now. And what I'm here to tell you is I think you're exactly where you need to be. I think you might be a lot closer to greater days than you've ever been before if you're feeling that low. Because that was my story. And I've seen it countless times with countless other people. So keep your head up and reach out for help if you're fucking ready. Like, let's go. I got the resources. We can make it happen. Don't wait. Don't ever wait to turn things around. It's never a bad day to make a good decision for your life. So if you need help, reach out to me. My number is 
203-917-8862. Again, that is 203-917-8862. And uh, that's all I got. But I will see you guys on the next one.